Keeping Democracy Alive with Bert Cohen. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, But even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans themselves. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. What we're seeing is a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shooting, the violence, that is not a drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. And some American presidents have known about the dignity of our neighbors to the South, but not all of them. What do you know about Honduras? Well, you know it's in Central America. You may know that it holds one of the U.S. few remaining Latin American military bases. It's also known for its rampant violence, much of it somehow serving the interests of the new government, which was helped by the United States, and specifically then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, to come into power through a military coup in 2009. At the highest levels of the U.S. national security state, Honduras is seen as a pawn in a geopolitical Cold War II chess game, according to our guest today. As the, and our guest today is Silvio Carrillo. Is that uh, very good to uh, speak with you down in uh, Honduras? Likewise. Thanks for having me. Well, as the mainstream news can be depended on to cover celebrities and easily digestible, high-profile, American-centered events, I'm pretty certain you, the listener, never heard about a murder on the night of March 2nd, 2016, of a brave environmental and indigenous rights activist, Berta Caceres. I hope I pronounced that right. To be honest, I only learned about the murder recently. In 2015, Berta Caceres was awarded the prestigious Goldman Environmental Prize. Of course, no one knows who actually did the killing, nor who ordered the attack on her home in the middle of the night. Why was she seen by the government as someone who had to be killed? And why is it important for Americans to learn about this incident? Here to tell us from Honduras is her nephew and friend, Silvio Carrillo. Again, thanks for being with us, Silvio. Absolutely, my pleasure. Carrillo is a a freelance film and news producer based in California, whose work has included coverage for CNN, Al Jazeera English, and the South China Morning Post. Carrillo wrote an op-ed for the Sunday New York Times of March 5th, 2017, on this topic. Though the incident was essentially unknown in the United States, as you write in your op-ed, her assassination prompted horrified reactions around the world, especially in communities that cared about human rights and democracy. If you could, please tell us what happened late at night, March 2nd, 2016. And tell us about your aunt. Uh, You know, what motivated her? What was she doing that might have motivated powerful interests to kill her. Why, why would her name be on a hit list? <laughs> That's 
you know, she had a, she had uh, made a lot of enemies, and in a country like this, um, where uh, you know women generally aren't supposed to be speaking out, speaking truth to power, uh, Becca did, and Becca wasn't afraid to do so, and and that's kind of how she was raised. Um, she was her her uh, mother, my grandmother was an incredible role model, a very incredibly strong woman who um, was a midwife here in Las Perantes, Honduras, where Beth is from, and um, and she helped indigenous people uh, get health care. They would come from the mountains, and my grandmother gave them uh, free health care and, and assisted in, in their births, or, or, or you know, had, had, and as did Berta. Berta helped her, her mother with the births at times. And so Berta would... would would see what was what happened what was happening to the people here, the indigenous people, um, the impoverished people here, and and the tragedies that they live in, uh-huh. whether it's illiteracy or lack of food or you know like their their land being taken away from them for one reason or another to the benefit of others. Um, there there's been um, just a, a, a continuation of, of repression against them in one way or another, and that saw the need to help them to organize and to um, get them to speak up for themselves. And she also saw, and which was very bright and intelligent of her, was that there was other movements around the world that, that they could be in solidarity with to create a bigger movement and more, more um, to create more knowledge about it around the world. And so um, this, this situation in, in, in Standing Rock, you know, is not, is not different from this, this situation in in Indonesia, or with the Aborigines in, mm. in Australia, or with the Maori in, in New Zealand, this this is a worldwide issue, and Berta recognized this very early on, and and this is why she won the environmental prize, the Goldman Environmental Prize, uh, in 2015. And she was at work against a a dam, I believe. Is that correct? That uh... that's correct. It was the Aguasarca Dam, um, which was a, a a piece of land that would have belonged to indigenous people and. The government uh, claimed that, that, uh, that the parties there involved wanted the, the, the dam to be built, forged documents, uh, people were paid off, wanted it, and, and, and you know, that's, that's not the case. The government violated it, it, a law mm. that it itself signed, uh, ILO 169, which is a, a law, it's an international law that says um, they have to consult, the government has to consult indigenous peoples uh, as to whether they can take their land or, or provide some kind of compensation for it. And, and they didn't. They just lied and went ahead and did it. And there are some 50-odd um, uh, um, programs like this around Honduras now uh, that are in, the, in some stage of, of, of process. Wow. And, you know, I've, I find, as I've been doing this program, Keeping Democracy Alive for a few years, it does seem like a similar theme keeps coming up when people are not able to be involved in decisions which affect their lives. Things get ugly. Things get really ugly. So just to educate uh, a lot of people, I mean, people know Honduras is in Central America. What about the, you know, the population? What uh, used to be, I know in some countries like El Salvador, there were a few ruling families and everybody else didn't have any money, but it changed somewhat in El Salvador, I believe. What what about Honduras? About what percentage of the people are indigenous, and is there a small ruling class for which the government works? 
Uh, well, absolutely. Uh, in the case of El Salvador, you know, I, the, the you know, in the eighties or seventies, it was probably like ten families that owned everything, and then right. now it's like twenty families. Oh. <laughs> and, 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 and here, it's like it's it's about the same thing. And so these the, the, it's a revolving door of these people that go through and and rule. You know, have ruled into this for ages in one way or another. Um, and the business elite are the ones that also are part of this nationalist, it's called the Nationalist Party, yeah. um, that, that, the, that the U.S. helped to put in place. And they're also the ones that own these bands and all of these projects. So it, I mean, it's all for the benefit of them. Um, we're no fools. We know how this works. And, and the U.S. is helping to support this, of course. Uh, which is incredibly, you know, for what, who is supposed to be a moral leader around the world, it's it's a really it's a little disconcerting to have to actually conduct this fight. You know, I, mm. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with or email back and forth with the ambassador, pointing out like direct evidence of their corruption here, and he just you know kind of sidesteps it and says, you know, well, it's it's just you got to stick with me here. This is you know we're going to fix this. And I was like, well, when are you going to fix it? You've had plenty that you've had decades of doing the same thing. There's a reason why I was born in the U.S. My parents had to leave Guatemala and Honduras because they were, they were being targeted by the military, military governments that the U.S. supported. And here we are again, and, you know, it's just it's simple collateral damage to the U.S., but this collateral damage is much more than just that. This was a woman who was going to be a future president of Honduras. She was uh. going to take this oligarchy out single-handedly, I mean, uh-huh. you know, power of the people, but she was single-handedly working towards that, and they knew it, and they were afraid of her. Well, that explains it. You can't have, can't have her staying alive, my goodness. But, you know, for American interests, for North American interests, you know, John Kennedy, for, for his faults, and he had plenty, he had something called the Alliance for Progress, and there was, at least it sounded good, working with people in, uh, you know, South America and Central America. We should be partners there. How can people not get angry when they are at effect, when they're not consulted, and, and when people uh, and the land uh, gets hurt so badly? It just, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, it's, it's just not a sustainable situation. Here was your aunt, uh, Berta Caceres, who was uh, getting powerful, and she obviously was a threat to the government. So she was uh, murdered in her home late at night, March 2nd in 2016. If you just tuned in to Keeping Democracy Alive, Bert Cohen here. We're talking with Silvio Carrillo in, uh, in Honduras about... Uh, the murder of his aunt, who was also a friend of his. Uh, just, you know, when it hits home like that. Um, I believe one of Hillary Clinton's very first acts as Secretary of State shortly after Obama took office in January 2009 was her approval and acquiescence of the overthrow of slightly left of center Manuel Zelaya. Um, how, how did the that coup affect development of big projects in indigenous areas and in what ways was violence affected as a result of that coup well the coup which was i guess i guess not a military coup make sure you get it right right i uh, realize that because you know obama and hillary both had uh both had issues uh you know obama had this awkward moment in uh, on on camera where he said the coup was not legal. Well, that, that is such odd phrasing. 
you know, why would why would a man that that really is is incredibly you know maybe verbose, but he knows he knows how to speak, he knows how to speak very well, make, and he knows why the law. Make such an odd comment because they didn't know how to handle it, and they didn't know what they were going to do with it, and so they they knew they didn't like Zelaya. Um, it was a really strange relationship with them, and I'm not I'm not going to be the first person to stand up for Zelaya and say he was he was a fantastic and the perfect president. Um, but he did allow for for the indigenous people here in Honduras to have a voice, and that angered the establishment, the uh, the elite, the business elite, and and it delayed their plans. And so when they saw this opportunity, they jumped on it. They got the support from the U.S. And in 2011, they, quote-unquote, opened Honduras for business. And so it took off. And that's when the concessions started, started being sold. In other words, companies were told, hey, come, we're going to give away land for cheap, and you're gonna, you know, we're going to do projects together, and we're going we're gonna to be rich. And, and that's what's happened. That's mm. how there's so many projects here. And you know, in, the global, in the Global Witness Report that was released a few right. weeks back, uh, it details one such project, um, and and I'm not sure how this is supposed to help uh, the local people in Honduras, but it was on uh, Garifuna land, who are uh, Afro-Caribbean people that live along the northern coast uh-huh. uh, in Honduras, uh-huh. and they 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 had a village there, and next to the village it was uh, like the town where they would get their stuff and whatever, and so the village was was moved over, part of the land was taken. And they they put down a resort there, no. and and supposedly that was going to give jobs to the local community. Um, and they they would go in and they would learn how to they they would cook local food, you know, which is what every tourist wants. Uh, but what ended up happening is there's a couple of things that happened, and and that is that they ended up having the local people, like even the people, teach the local. That teach other people how to cook the food, non-local people, uh-huh. and so they ended up firing the garifunas, and then um, they uh, they cut off access to the beach, which was the way they walked to the town where they would get food, where they would get their education, where they would get their health care. So now these people have no way of getting getting to to the town because they were restricted from walking along the beach that now belonged to the resort. And so the government had to build them a road, but the road takes them an hour to walk it. And how are kids going to go to school? They're not going to go to school. Eventually, they'll stop going. If they have to walk an hour to get just to get to school, what does that mean? That means the kids aren't going to be educated. That means the kids are going to run away. Are going to want to leave Honduras? Where are they going to go? Through Mexico to the U.S. Right. And certainly, uh, <laughs> President uh, Trump, whom I have referred to as Benito the Chito, uh, is very much against refugees and you know let's face it honduras is known as a country with a great deal of violence and many of the refugees that trump wants to keep out of america are trying to get away from the violence there tell us please about the sources of that violence is it a common i mean there's a lot of poverty there and we know you know where there's poverty there's there's desperation, and people do get violent. Is it? I wonder what percentage about is street gangs over drugs and drug drug profits, or is is the you know there's there's violence by the military too? I mean, they killed your uh, your aunt. So d- tell us about the sources of the violence, if you would please. 
Well, the, I mean, there are so many. It's it's really hard to yeah. kind of keep track. Okay. Uh, you know, there there are the gangs, which these criminal elements are involved with police. Uh, police are located, and and recently, uh, the so-called president of Honduras had a, you know conducted a purge of the police, and hundreds of police were were let go. The problem is they were just let go, and there wasn't any kind of rehabilitation program, so they just went off and kept. You know, they instead of being like a policeman and 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 selling drugs or whatever, they are now free to go sell drugs all, all day long. Um, so there's no rehabilitation for them. Mm. Um, the, the military has been training the police, so those that are those policemen that are left are like police on steroids. You know, they're incredibly armed um, and and they're violent. They're violent. Um, they have no. Um, they don't care about human rights. Um, the murder rate here is incredibly high. And the reason these people are okay with doing this, and you asked earlier, like, how can people, how do people get away with it here? Well, why do they do this? It's because they can get away with it. There is a 95% impunity rate. So that means that only 5% of crimes are, are even, that someone is arrested for. So why wouldn't you commit a crime? You're never going to get caught. And, and this goes back to the U.S. The U.S. is saying, especially the U.S. ambassador is saying, oh, the Honduran government is doing a great job. They, they, you know, we just need to let them do their work because they're going to find the killers. Um, so how are they going to find the killers? Like, they can't even solve normal, everyday crime. And this high-profile murder, like, you expect them to actually get to the bottom of that when, when it reaches all the way to the top, probably? It's, it's just, it's insane. And so, yeah, the, the causes of the violence have come from many, many places. And, and it's in collusion with the police and the, and the establishment here because it just, this is how they do business here. Um, there are no laws that aren't that can't be broken. And on the night of March second, twenty sixteen, talk about violence. Maybe you can go through what is what is known about what happened. Did did your aunt uh, have some sense that you know she could be killed at any moment? Uh, tell it. Tell us what happened. And and the, I guess it was a bunch of guys came in. And but you you put it in your words. And then how in terms of. Uh, you know, saving and looking at the crime scene and looking at the evidence. So tell us about that night, if you would, please. So um, that night, uh, she was with a friend and uh, another uh, campaigner uh, from Mexico, and he was staying with her at, her at her house, and they were just catching up, and, um, and then they went off to bed, and each to a different room. And and then suddenly there was a noise, and she opened the door, uh, and and I think she ran towards the bedroom and, and tried to cover herself there, and they just they attacked her, and I think I believe they shot her three three times, um, hmm. and then and I've been to the house, and there's still the bullet holes are still there, uh, and it's it's just uh, it's 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 an awful sight. And then a uh, friend that was with her was also shot. Uh, he was he was uh, grazed by a bullet, and um, and so he's the one that alerted uh, everyone as to what had happened. He held on to Betita for a little while until she passed, um, mm. and then and then the and then when the police came, uh, they you know, it's like Keystone cops. They came in, they stumbled all around the house. And then we just destroy pretty much all the evidence, any any evidence that was there. Um, and then when family members started showing up, and they allowed them to go in the house. Like I was speaking to one of my cousins yesterday, and he went into the house. He was uh, ten, um, and he was 
they, and he said he saw the body, and then they made him walk out. So there was all these people walking in and out of the house in after the scene of a, of a major crime in Honduras. Like, mm-hmm. and and these are some of these police were ones that were trained by the U.S. Uh-huh. And so it's 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 just it's shocking the way they've been treated. They've been, they treated the crime scene. Uh, it's shocking the way they treated my family since then. Um, we we had a list of all the things that they uh, took away from the house as evidence, mm-hmm. and um, and what two, a couple of things that weren't on there were a laptop, a cell phone, and a tablet. And we we know for a fact they were there, but now they've disappeared. And so you know, when, when, when there is this this investigation is not something we we have a lot of faith in. Mm. Um, you know, they don't they don't have the capacity here to handle. Um, something of this magnitude, and and you know they've been saying, and the, again the ambassador's been saying they've got the guys, they've got the guys. What well, they have the guys, then um, why don't they let us conduct uh, our own or an independent investigation? If they're so certain, well, let's confirm their finding, and and let's conduct an independent international investigation, and and see where it takes us. They're not going to do that. I have a feeling. I wish I weren't, but it, it sounds, you know, really uh, horrible. And about, maybe you mentioned before, about uh, what percentage of, of the country are, lives in, uh, you know, in, in some degree of poverty, about, just a rough guess? Uh, I believe it's about 60 to 70%. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's, wow. it's, it's pretty high. Wow. And there are, I mean, it's not like, Honduras has billionaires, several billionaires. Huh, um, billionaires. And uh, including the guy that, that owns the dam, uh, Atala, uh-huh. the Atala family. Um, he's a billionaire. I mean, you, you can, if you Google him, you'll find a, a Bloomberg article on him and how he's so wealthy and, like, lavish and whatnot. Mm. So it, there's, there's a term, plutocracy, oligarchy. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, great! But that's what this is. This is a kleptocracy, and kleptocracy. I, I've actually had discussions with a with a writer and a researcher, a woman named Sarah Chase, who is has been who's documented that in Africa, and she came here to Honduras to do the same thing. She was going to document it here about this being a kleptocracy, and where you know they have they, it, it's it's literally just a criminal syndicate that that pretends to be a government, and they're just they're just it's just the benefit of their own friends and people who are like them. Whoa, that's lovely. And of course, gee, the U.S. must raise all kinds of objections regularly because it's just, oh, not some kind of government that we would ever support for sure. Huh. Yeah. But you know, tell, tell us about, I mean, the U.S. has a, a fairly large military base there. And, you know, let's, over, over the, you know, since the late 70s when there was a, uh, the revolution in Nicaragua, uh, the U.S. has wanted to... Uh, Keep the lid on in that area. How important do you think is the uh, the military base there, and 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 what's it like? And what what, what are the people of Honduras? Uh, what's their reaction to that military base? People, you know, they they work there, they get jobs there, right? The military base is pretty substantial. It's not just that base, but there's other other there's Honduran bases where the uh, uh-huh. Americans have troops or military equipment and the like. And so the, the reason for them being here is because it helped. It's a nice perch to watch the rest of 
Central America from and Latin America. Right, right. And it also, you know, there's a lot of drug addiction that goes on here, you know, and, and which is, there's, mm. there's just so much evidence, that, you know, like the, the last uh, two, the last president, Pepe Lobo, his son is now in jail in, in New York for drug trafficking. And I think another one of his sons is under, under investigation for it. And uh, the brother of the current president had to go testify for the DEA in Miami recently. He flew on a, on a presidential plane. <laughs> because I guess that's what you do when you don't get caught for things. So it is a strategic place for the U.S., which, you know, we can all, to a certain extent, understand if you're playing the game the way it should be played and not, you know, fostering or attempting to foster some kind of democracy here. Mm. Um, and and, and they, they're not. Clearly they're not. If, if, if our taxpayer dollars, you know, that were that we're uh, talking about here, yes. $18 million in the, the confidence act that's just been introduced, if we don't give them that, and that will send a signal to them, hey, look, you, know, you guys, you need, to, you need to figure this out because we're not going to play with you until you do. But they're refusing to, you know? And because sadly, this all started with the Obama administration and Joe Biden's office and the State Department. No, oh, tell us about that, please. That meeting that you just spoke. Yeah. So you mentioned the Alliance for Progress, and this is the Alliance for Prosperity. It's a program that that the Biden's office and the White and the Vice President's office, and that some of those people moved over to the State Department, um, created and and put forth, and and have uh, you know, it's a, it's a way of giving uh, like seven hundred fifty million dollars to. The Northern Triangle countries, which uh, I believe are Guatemala, Honduras, and and El Salvador, and um, and so uh, part of the reason to do to for that money is to keep people from coming to the U.S. But in fact, I mean, that money is, is is really not helping. You may have you may have one or two small programs that is actually you know help, helping one or two people, but the fact of the matter is you're 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 giving you're essentially giving the, the government, the Honduran government, the means, some, the means, the money, and then some, you're giving them support by giving them the money, right. which is political support. So they're coming here, they're spending the money the way they want, and they're arming their, their police with it. They are, um, their crime rates are, are astronomical here, mm-hmm. and the country is in, in dire poverty. And I mean, the, I, honestly, you, I, I had an earlier conversation today, and I couldn't get on a on a on a landline to make a call right. to my grandmother's house because it didn't work, and my cell phone didn't work. So we had a we had a postponed interview. I mean, for the amount of money, if there's a billionaire here and I can't make a you know just a little phone call or even take a shower today, really, I mean, there's a colossal problem here and where the money is going in this country. Do they? I can't imagine the U.S. Uh, uh, people who are responsible for you know dishing out the money. Not recognizing that this is not sustainable. If you're keeping a lot of people in poverty, and they, and of course they see there's just a few families, and you say billionaires. I can't. What's it? How can it be a billionaire in a country filled with sixty to seventy percent poverty? That just, it's just not sustainable. I just don't understand how American government cannot see that. And you talked about the uh, plan uh, for the Alliance for Prosperity in the Northern Triangle which had uh, it was $750 million funding for 
many major economic development projects. Oh, doesn't that sound good? Economic development, like the dams Berta died opposing and something called model cities, specific economic right. zones. Well, tell us about these, these model cities and this, this whole economic development. I mean, like, you know, as a, as a progressive uh, American, liberal American, you think, well, economic development. Hey, that's good. You know, it's it's interesting you bring that up. I, and honestly, I, I I hope and think that the model cities are now off the table. But the model cities are based on a place like Hong Kong, which is a place that I lived in for five years mm. as a journalist. And I saw the detriment that these model cities create. Like there are, I mean, just as we were talking about a billionaire in this, in this little country, well, there are about 20 billionaires, I think, in Hong Kong. I can't remember exactly. Mm. But there's a lot. And there's a lot more poor people in Hong Kong. Okay, they don't get the services they need. That I, I profiled a 90-year-old woman who was taking care of her 46-year-old Down syndrome son in mm. a 12th-floor apartment. How, how does that happen in Hong Kong, this place where, you know, everyone is wealthy? That's, that's not the case. It doesn't work. And this would, again, only benefit very few people. It's a kleptocracy. But don't these, I mean, they call them, I mean, economic zones. We've, we've had them here, you know, in the United States where there's incentives given to companies to go into uh, areas of great poverty and create some jobs. I, is that not what's happening there? No, no, no. They're taking advantage of the cheaper labor um, you oh. know, like Armor All or Armor, uh, Armor the undergarment company is here, has a big factory at Asula, and wh- why are they here? I mean, they're here mm-hmm. because it's, it's, it's cheap. They don't have to pay people that much. And the Honduran government is happy that they're here and, and you know, just doesn't, doesn't care about the rights of their own people. They could fight for them, mm-hmm. but, the, you know, they're getting benefits. They get benefits from having armor, armor come here and, right. and produce their clothing. Um, and there's many companies like that. I mean, they, you know, we used to talk about maquilas in the 90s, and mm-hmm. I mean, they're still around, of course. Um, but that's just it's just moved down to Central America and to, to plenty of other places. And so um, this government that doesn't want to support or create any kind of um, essential uh, wage, living wage here for for its, its people, you know, they, they, they're not interested in that. They're interested in lining their own pockets and making sure they stay in power. I and mean, the current president is now is now vying for a, a second term, which is actually illegal here. Yeah. And the initial excuse is to why they wanted Zelaya out. But now he's, like, packed the Supreme Court with his supporters and, and you know, like just decided to ignore or change the Constitution. Well, I'm just curious, a quick one. Where is Manuel Zelaya now? He's, he's still alive, I assume. He wanted to come back and, re- and assume the presidency. Where, what's his status? He's, uh, he's definitely still kicking around. He's a, a congressman, I believe, um, and, wow. uh, and he's still uh, in office. Uh, his, his wife is running for the office as well, I believe, for as president. Um, and and so they they are very much still around. He you'll see him occasionally pop up um, at events uh, for my aunt. Um, and um, oh. and he, you know he he's he's just a he's an interesting guy. He was part of this elite to begin with. Uh-huh. Something changed him when he was in, the, in as president. Um, 
and then and then I, you know, it just kind of all fell apart. Well, one thing I do wonder about is that you know Latin America is a very very large place, many 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 countries, and what about it was there? I don't know how many political parties there are. I assume more than in the currently United States, but there's been a left surge in a lot of Latin America. I mean, uh, Evo Morales in Bolivia is doing well. Isn't is there concern? I mean, is there a left party in in Honduras? And and wouldn't this be uh, uh, fertile ground? for recruiting for, uh, you know, actual communists and, and Marxists and things like that? And is there any kind of left movement at all, or have people kind of given up hope for that? I think there's, uh, there's a bit of disillusionment, um, which it's, it's very similar to the U.S., in fact. So, you know, you've got your Bernie Sanders yes. uh, section, you've got your Hillary Clinton section, you've got your Jill Stein. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a little bit of that happening here. Um, the Liberal Party is now being seen as aligned with the Nationalist Party, and, and they're seen as more centrist. And so uh, there's another party now called the Libre Party, and I, I believe there's another one or two parties out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, you know, like you just at some point you just you just give up, right? right? And and then you're when you're impoverished to, to the extent that you're impoverished here, it's like it's like you, know, you just it's depressing and you give up. Uh, my uh-huh. aunt was not one of those that was willing to give up. Uh-huh. She was going to do the exact opposite, and and she was creating. She had created a large movement. I mean, she was a she was a, a, a large figure during the 2009 coup, and and continued to be so. And you know, they were clearly threatened by her. But but today, I mean, it's. it's We've gotten the wind knocked out of our sails, but it doesn't mean we're going to stop. And, and the people of Honduras deserve deserve much better than what they're getting currently. Mm, I am sure. And you know, I can see how the government might be threatened by a uh, a strong woman that people liked, uh, Berta uh, Caceres, who uh, was was your aunt. How old was she anyway when she was killed? She was forty-four. Oh, Tomorrow geez. she would have been. Uh, yeah, she was well. <laughs> She would have been 45 the following day. Oh, my God. Mm, mm, so young. It, and clearly they knew what they were doing. Any any idea? She There was some talk that she might have been on a, a hit list. What, what do we know about this hit list? Where would that have come from? And I wonder how many other people might be on that hit list. And I guess the idea is to frighten people so much that they do give up. What What, what is known about this? alleged hit list. Did she have any, I mean, she must have had some sense that some people wanted to kill her, or did she? Oh, absolutely. She, for, since 2013, she'd be receiving uh, death threats, or texts, emails, uh, in person. Hmm. Uh, I believe she was shot at a couple times, and, and uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was ongoing, and it was so bad that the Inter-Commission, Inter-American Commission on Human Rights told the Honduran government that you need to protect her, and and they ignored it. They they continue to they continually ignored it, and um, and and claimed actually at some point that, that they had sent her protection. But what what that amounted to was some guy rolling up every three days and signing a piece of paper saying he was here at the house, and then and then he would drive yeah. off. Um, and so like, the, the just the, that that. She, she, and we always knew that this was a possibility. 
but we were never going to say, don't do it. Right. You, you might get killed. This is, this is a part of what life is like here. This mm. is a part of our family. And, and you know, if, you, if you're struggling, if you're, if, if you, you can't tell someone that if, if they need to eat or breathe, you can't, you can't tell them, don't just give up. You know, I, I, I would never have said that to her and she wouldn't have listened to me anyway. Right. You know, she was gonna, she was not just willful, but like really incredibly powerful spirit that yeah. could speak to anyone um, in any place. And you felt like you had to hear what she was saying. And, and you know, thank God that so many people heard what she was saying and, and feel it so strongly that we continue to do this today. And we've gotten this far where we've introduced a second bill in the House of Representatives, and, and we're going to continue fighting and get as many people as we can on board. Well, I want to talk about that before the end of the show. And I'm reminded, I don't remember where this quote comes from, but, you know, you can kill a person, but you can't kill an idea. And I, I wonder, you know, what happens now with the people who knew her? She was pretty well known. Uh, are, are they just going to be so frightened that they could be next? Or do you think what she was all about, I mean, what happens to that energy, that tremendous energy that, that is there? I mean, it, it doesn't go away when you kill the person. Yeah, well, you know, there's another quote that's been around since she was killed, and that, Berta no murió, se multiplicó. Berta didn't die, she multiplied. And so like, right it. after she was killed, I went to D.C. And I, you know, the reason I went to D.C. is because I, I knew one, at least one person that was in her network. And he connected me to everyone else. And I was embraced by her network in Washington, D.C. and at other NGOs around the country, around the world. And together, like, we went to Capitol Hill. We, they got, you know, doors opened for me to go in for, her, for uh, her, us to bring her daughters up people to meet with Nancy Pelosi, to meet with Hank Johnson, to meet with Keith Ellison, and to meet with Patrick Leahy and, and many others that, that needed to hear our, you know, the reality of what was happening and not what the U.S. Embassy is saying or not what the Honduran government is saying. And, and it's, a very, it's a very powerful thing, you know, when you can just, they just dropped everything and, and got on this. And that's how we got to where we are today. Um, that's how we've been able to um, you know, continue this fight, get our get our stories written. I mean, normally you don't have this much media around one person who died in Honduras. Yeah. Not, you know, especially in the U.S., it's like, what? Well, I don't care. But because it, it is clear that her work and her message was so profound and affecting all of us in the U.S., especially with so many Hispanics and Latinos in the U.S., like you have to have a friend who's Hispanic who knows somebody who's been killed here. So yeah. this, this, is, this, is, this resonates. I think it's, it's starting to resonate a lot more. And as a journalist, like I, I called on my friend to, to help us tell the story that wasn't being told. And, and you know, I think the power of Berta and, and her symbolism really took this to another level. And, and that's why we're here today. And there's a lot that can be done. You know, I'm, I'm here in New England, you know, which gets snow and doesn't have a lot of people from Honduras here. But what would you tell people in North America, in the United States, why this kind of thing matters to them? I mean, I can think of a number of reasons. 
not just moral reasons. I mean, the U.S., I think it's in our interest to be the moral leaders of the world. It worked well for us, you know, after World War II. But why should people care? I mean, sometimes we buy, you know, clothes that probably say made in Honduras on it, you know. But tell us why the average American should care. I mean, Honduras is so far away from like Montana or someplace like that. Well, we need to care because these situations also occur in our backyard. Um, You know, I mentioned the the pipeline in North Dakota. Indeed. It's the same exact situation. You know, they're fighting for their water, clean water. Yes. uh, On their land. You know, so this this isn't, isn't, uh, you know, that big a stretch of the imagination uh, for someone in Montana or or Idaho or Mississippi to think about. Um, There are more and more of us as by us, I mean Hispanics and Latinos, yes. who are coming to the U.S. Yes. and that you run into, that you come across, that work with you, that could be your professor, that could be mm-hmm. you know, someone you teach. Um, there are more of us in your community. And so I think, I think it's incredibly important and powerful to have that diversity and the knowledge of the diversity around you. And, and you know, I think, I, I think if, if, if you don't learn about it, you're going to become afraid of it, and, and there's no reason to be afraid of, ah. of what I'm doing, at the very least. But, uh, you know, we're, we're just trying to do what everyone else is trying to do, and like, like yep. that guy, you know, live, live, and, 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 and be able to breathe. Ah, what a concept, being able to live and breathe and eat, and, you know, it's... Uh, it's in 1948, there was the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. This is what everybody wants, to be able to eat, be healthy, and to have some degree of freedom. Now, if you don't, you know, if you're economically uh, oppressed, you don't have a lot of freedom, but, you know, it, it, it takes a while to get there, but at least have some chance to do that. Now, we like to believe in the United States and elsewhere in the developed world, so-called developed world, that there's something called equal justice under the law. How, how applicable is this notion to, to Honduras? Please tell us, if you would please, about the system of justice in Honduras and perhaps the United States' role in the system of justice in Honduras. The U.S. has been, uh, recently, there's been programs that the State Department has uh, initiated here where they're, they're trying to shore up the judiciary. Um, which is, you know, of course, completely commendable because we all want a fair judiciary. The problem is that they're dealing with corrupt people. And so, like, you're not, you're not really making any headway when you're people, you know, dealing with people who don't care. And so, if you continue to pour resources into that, you're, you're simply just, just make no one understands that you're, you look like you're supporting them, even though, even if your intentions are otherwise. You continue to give them money and say, you know, we've done this program, we've done that, but that doesn't mean anything if it's actually not being carried out. And the situation here is it's, it's pretty bad as far as judges go. Uh, you know, we had an altercation with, uh, like, on the first day of one of the court hearings here for one of the people that were captured in, in her death, and and um, and the, the judge barred the, the lawyer from practicing for about 15 days. And, and so it was just a strange strange turn of events um, that was complete, that, was, that seemed to be uh, colluding to help cover up the police's actions or the investigation. You know, it was unclear what the, what the motives were for suspending this lawyer who mm. merely tried to correct the judge. 
Um, but she just suspended. She's like, no, you're suspended. Get out of here. And, and it's, you know, it's unfathomable. Like, it, 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 it's basically it's just to strike fear in the hearts of the mm. lawyers to not be aggressive and to not do their jobs the way they should do. And so the, the Honduran judiciary mm. has been, has always uh, suffered. Um, Juan Orlando, the, pre- the president, has um, has filled the Supreme Court with supporters of his so that you know, once a, a challenge to his uh, next presidency comes up, he can just uh-huh. say, oh, the court ruled this way, so I don't, you know, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, it's, in, it's in dire need of, of repair. Um, essentially, this cabal is, is just simply, a, you know, in it for their own, for their own benefit. Mm, mm, mm. And, you know, you can rule by fear pretty effectively for a while, mm-hmm. <laughs> but after a time... You know, people stand up for that. And, you know, the police have a, have a big role in there. And I think it's been shown pretty much everywhere in the world that community policing, where, where the people are connected to the police, they, are neighbor, they, they serve one another, the community policing has been shown to reduce violent crime where it has been applied. But I believe under President Hernandez, uh, it, it has not moved toward community policing what has happened to uh, that part of the uh, legal system, the, the, the police? Are they more centralized and more militarized in recent years? Are they continuing in that uh, uh, direction? Or is there some community policing? I mean, we all know community policing works better. W- what's happened with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I believe in certain, certain, there are certain programs in, in some parts that uh, adhere to community policing. I mean, I'm, I live in Oakland. And I, see, sure. I, I live in a very Asian and African-American part of town. And I am shocked that I only see, I literally, like, nine out of ten times, it'll just be, if the police come by, anywhere near the neighborhood, they're all white. Mm. And it's completely baffling to me, and I don't understand it. But it's the same, it's the same here. You know, they're, they're very aggressive, um, and, and really, they're, they're pretty much on steroids, and, and they, don't, they don't really need... Um, uh, a reason to arrest you or mm. take you in, they'll hold. I mean, there's been reports of dozens of, of uh, NGO activists um, that have been held. And, and normally when we um, hear about that, like, well, we'll our, the people that are on the ground here that work for NGOs will alert the groups in the U.S. and then we'll start bombarding uh. the U.S. Embassy with what's happened here, why is this happening, and then he goes to uh, the attorney general to find out what's happened. And that's how we are. I mean, I feel like we're essentially saving people's lives because otherwise you would never hear from them again. And, and you say we are saving people's lives. What, I was wondering what NGOs, non-governmental organizations are there trying to help out the situation and perhaps being effective. Uh, there's, uh, there's many, many groups. Uh, there's the Honduran Solidarity Network. There's uh, the Witness for Peace, oh, the yeah. School of the Americas Watch. Um, uh, I think it is, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the other one, uh, I can't skip. Well, those are some good ones, Witness for... Other worlds. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's several that are, that are really trying to do the, the, the work, continue the work that Betta uh, did in her legacy and that are here today with us. In fact, I'm, I'm at a house with a bunch of them. And, uh-huh. and, and we're working with, with Copin, which was my aunt's uh, organization when she helped start. And that was called Copin? Uh-huh. Well, and, and I wanted to, you know, 
there's that whole infamous war on drugs, which, I mean, the Bush, Bush uh, administration escalated with something called the Merida Initiative. What effect did this have on violence in America and, and in Central America? And, and how, how much of a factor is this war on drugs? Well, I mean, it, it, it's the, the, the thing about the war on drugs is such a vague concept. And, Intentionally. Uh, you know, there was one human rights defender recently that I met in December who has been campaigning for a long time because of, she, she started as an activist because of the disappearance of her husband. He was disappeared in the 80s. Hmm. And then, so she started a, a, a human rights organization. And, and lately, they've been saying that she is part of, you know, she's involved in drugs and drug trafficking, and they're going to, mm. you know, basically saying, go watch out, you're going to be arrested soon, um, or you better keep your mouth shut, or what you're saying, stop speaking up. Yeah. And, and this is a very slippery slope. They, they, are, they do this a lot um, with many people here, um, especially the NGOs. They, they, they label them, and then they, they allege, then they get court summons or whatever, and they can go out and, and capture them if uh-huh. they want to. Sure. Um, it's a, it's pretty aggressive here, uh, and it's and it's done. Routinely. Wow. There was raids. There was raids here one time, and I was here as well, uh, alleging that there were that there was uh, drugs being sold at, at a coffee shop. Which the coffee shop is actually a very liberal coffee shop. Uh-huh. Had speakers in it, and I think it was having a poetry night. Uh-huh. <laughs> there you go, poetry. Now that's the danger. You got to stop that. Subversive. Totally <laughs> subversive. Well, it is. I mean, arts, you know, are supposed to be that way. Well, yeah. I, I, I think it's clearly true that, uh, you know, she was killed, but she also multiplied your aunt, Berta Caceres. She was not the only victim of government violence in Honduras. Sounds like not by a long shot. We in the U.S. are not powerless. You write that wherever unprotected activists stand up to governments and corporations that encroach on indigenous land rights and other human rights, we must do all we can to stop our governments, corporations, and lending institutions from playing the role of enabler. End of quote. Well, in that context, please tell us about what's going on here uh, with the United States Congress, the uh, Berta Caceres Act that uh, is being uh, pushed around uh, on Capitol Hill. So it was introduced uh, to uh, by uh, Congressman Hank Johnson, Georgia, Democrat of Georgia, um, and uh, supported by Jan Schakowsky of Chicago and uh, and Keith Ellison of Minnesota. Has been has been a huge help on this, and we've been communicating a lot with him and, and Johnson's office, and and it's been uh, a lot of uh, uh, hard work put into it that that. Um, Basically says no, don't we can't the government, the State Department should not be giving eighteen million dollars uh, to the to for security aid to Honduras, and and it's not this is a drop in the bucket, you know, and so it mm-hmm. it just sends a message. This is a part of the seven hundred fifty million um, alliance for prosperity, and and it really it's it's more of a message than anything else. Uh, the bill is now has twenty four sponsors last. Term it had, we got up to 50 sponsors, and so this term we're going to get more. Uh, we're pressing uh, very hard. In fact, we uh, are also um, trying to get support from Norma Torres, who is a California Democrat, who is a Guatemalan-born congresswoman 
um, who had to flee Guatemala because she was mm. uh, in danger as a youngster. Like her family thought she was in danger, so they brought her to the U.S. Uh, but yet she has she didn't she didn't support the bill last year, and it's a little curious to us as to why. Mm. And she's head of the she had she's head of the Central America Caucus, and so you know a lot of the what, what happens is because there's so many bills going through Congress, uh, they look to leaders to say, oh, should I vote on which? How should I vote uh-huh. on this? And and they just simply vote the way the leader of the caucus will. And this is happening with her. So we're getting we we have about thirty we have, in her caucus we had about I don't know maybe five to ten. Uh, co-signers sign on, but she wouldn't, and and mm. we need her support, and so we're gonna we're we're directly engaging her and, and trying to find out what the problem is you know, because she knows very well what the situation is here. She knows she she came out of it in Guatemala, and uh, and so this is the kind of aggressive push we're going to be conducting uh, from now on instead of just sitting back and letting you know letting Congress deal with it. We're gonna we're gonna make things happen there. And are there other, you know, or organizations here in America that might be uh, enabling the problem? Uh, oftentimes, the lending institutions, I mean, heck, the, a lot of pressure was put on the lending institutions with regard to the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline. It kind of worked for a while, but are there institutions that people might want to know are part of the problem? Absolutely. USAID, uh, you know, is the first, first problem. Um, the, uh, there's uh, many others, like the Washington Office in Latin America, which is directly aligned with the State Department. Um, oh. and, and there's a few others that are, that are like that, that, that kind of have, the, they're like wolves in sheep's clothing. Oh um, USAID helps to fund programs or, or approves programs, such as the resort that I was speaking about mm. here in the Garifuna community. I don't, I, I can't, I'm not clear on whether they gave money to it, but this is, this is one of the programs that they support. And they're like, oh, yeah, look, we're, we're creating jobs for people mm-hmm. in this area. What do you, you know, what's the problem? Mm-hmm. The problem is kids aren't getting educated and they're going, going to, the, to the U.S. I mean, it's very simple. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's a few like that around that aren't, um, that, that, that are part of the problem, a big part of the problem. I would certainly say WOLA, Washington Office of Latin America, and USAID are need to be looked at more carefully. It reminded me in the early 1980s when I was doing a, uh, a discussion on a different radio station about El Salvador. USAID was part of the problem then. <laughs> oh. Shocking. <laughs> it's amazing. They just keep on... I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's just it's cyclical. They, 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 it's just, it's, it just goes on. You know, and, and I mean, it's also a problem with the World Bank. You know, we can go into that. Sure. I don't know that much about it, but I can tell you that I've had meetings at the World Bank uh, with Laura, Berta's daughter, a youngest daughter, and we went in there, and Berta, Laura started telling this group of men, wealthy men, uh-huh. you know, that we are, you know, what's happening in Honduras, and we're like, oh, we didn't know that. You know, and, and they had just, they had approved loans for Honduras to go and do all these projects. Oh, like, well, how, how do you not know that this is happening? Like, what, are you not watching how this money is spent and where it's going? Hmm. And clearly they're not. So this is, this, there's a huge disparity in, in knowledge and understanding of what is really happening on the ground. And, and people in Congress, like Norma Torres is a guy who's come down here to, to Honduras, and he, he said, he comes down here and he meets with people. And then he goes back to D.C. and he said, oh, yeah, I spoke to everyone that, that mattered. So it's cool. <laughs> I, know, I know what we're doing. I know what we got to do. It's not the case. Wow. You know, they're not consulting us. They're not consulting the people that actually are involved. They're consulting people that, who will give them the message they want to hear. Right. 
Ah, so frustrating. What can people do? Real quick, we don't have much time left, but what other organizations people can uh, get involved with and, and support, perhaps, if they want to do something about democracy in Honduras? And Absolutely. Absolutely. They, they can educate themselves on Beta Cáceres' work, on you know, other indigenous uh, and human rights activists' work, um, and let's make sure they are, they are safe. Defenders, we have to defend the defenders, the environmental defenders, yes. the human rights defenders, yes. and um, pressure our Congress people to sign on. Like we have, there will be a, a bunch of petitions going out in the next few days, making sure we pressure these people in Congress. You know, with, uh, on the Democrat side, we, we're going to have less of a chance, but, you know, I think everyone is for not wasting taxpayer money, yeah. our taxpayer money line the pockets of these corrupt politicians here in Honduras. Um, and so we can all get on board with that, be the Republican, you know, Libertarian, Tea Party, Democrat, yeah. um, Green Party, whatever. Yeah. I think I think that's something we can all agree on. And the name of the bill is uh, the Berta Caceres Act. Why don't you spell uh, B-E-R-T-A-C-A-C-E-R-E-S, correct? Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us today. Very informative, some powerful stuff here. Silvio Carrillo, thanks so much for being with us. And uh, hey, we're all doing what we can to keep democracy alive. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Here comes the helicopter. Second time today. Everybody scatters And hopes it goes away How many kids they've murdered Only God can say 